Welcome back to perhaps the worst scheduled podcast on the internet, Fight Sites MMA Podcast. <laughs> this is a bonus episode. We can barely keep track of our regular episodes. Uh, but we are here to address on May 31st one of the May Patreon requests, which is a part two of a in-depth series on Cody Garbrandt. The who is are, we? Introduce me, goddammit. Uh, I'm here with Ryan Wagner, who is a noted Cody Garbrandt enthusiast. Oh yeah, absolutely. All. Can't get enough of Cody. He took Cody Garbrandt over Jose Aldo, I swear to God. Those Garbrandt memes are juicy. I love me a Cody Garbrandt meme. <laughs> but, yeah, a so Mack truck doesn't with... worry about a pebble. <laughs> <laughs> so, we're here to talk about... I mean, and this should be short because it's about Cody Garbrandt and it's a bonus episode, so there's not a ton to say about him. It wasn't already covered in the article, but uh, we're here for Ryan's mostly input on what he does well, mostly probably what he doesn't do as well, and probably a little bit on how he matches up with Rafael Asuncao, uh, who is kind of the opposite of Cody Garbrandt in like literally every single way. So, Ryan, uh, my thoughts are kind of documented on this. What do you think are the best parts of Cody? Let's start on a positive note. Okay, I'll start out um, by just kind of describing the way I see his general game. So as a fighter, he's kind of focused around landing his right hook and his left hooks. And in terms of his right hook, you don't see a lot of right hooks in MMA. Usually when people are throwing their right hand, it's either a long range straight or if they're like kind of the power wrestler type striker, they go with overhands. Cody has a really tight right hook. Um, and his game's kind of built around that. So he wants to land the left hook or the right hook in really close, tight exchanges. Now, if if you're a fighter who wants to land those kind of close-range punches, how are you going to set them up? Usually, a lot of guys will pressure. Uh, they'll slowly eat up space while pushing guys back to the fence in order to trap them in close exchanges where they can tee off. Cody doesn't really have that pressure game. He He's not terribly comfortable advancing consistently. Uh, he likes to stay, if you look at him and his fights, normally he isn't, he's not within punching range most of the time. He likes to stay a little bit outside punching range, so he can't consistently force guys back and eat up that space. Um, another option is to, to kind of strike your way in, to throw like a 1-3-2 combination, or uh, yeah, a 1-3-2 uh, to close distance, or just like jab in hook off the jab, and then you're close enough to land your right hand. Cody, again, he's not really terribly comfortable closing distance. Uh, I just watched the Pedro Munoz fight, and this is something that's really clear there. Cody's he's staying at range and not, not spending a lot of time in the pocket, and he's trying these bursts to close distance on Munoz, and it's just not really working. Like The first, I think, three minutes or so of that fight, a lot of it is Munoz kind of teeing off with leg kicks and Cody trying to figure out how to how to stick him in pocket exchanges and Munoz can kind of just keep backing up whenever he comes in so he can't really pressure consistently he's not that great at closing distance through striking so that leaves counters and blitzes and he's genuinely very a very good counter striker um he counters in combination which I like a lot he a lot of guys will try to like like we've talked a lot about Tyron Woodley waiting and looking for the perfect opportunity to counter. Cody doesn't do that. He, as soon as you come in, he's on you. He's doubling up in the right hand, going right hook to right uppercut. 
and vice versa. Uh, he's just chaining those right hooks and left hooks together. So a lot of times you'll see guys kind of strike in like with a one, two or something. And then as they're pulling out, Cody just jumps on them and swarms them. And this is one of the things that, that made the, him such a bad matchup for Dominic Cruz because Cruz would, he'd, he'd come in and then before he had time to, to kind of skate out the side or to, to maneuver his way out, Cody would be right on him and swarming aside from counters the other way he has to to create those exchanges he wants is with blitzes. So like I said, he's not terribly comfortable closing distance, like boxing his way through distance. So he'll kind of sprint at guys. And this works really well when he's counter out, countering a leg kick. A lot of times in the Cruz fight, you'd see Cruz throw those, those off-balance leg kicks where he leans to the side to get out of the way of incoming punches, but it also knocks him off balance. And Cody would just kind of charge through them and hit him anyway. Um, but obviously the blitzes leave him very open to counters. Uh, and this is kind of a trend with Cody. He's not super comfortable leading, or at least he's not comfortable leading safely. Uh, he'll, he'll throw those, those blitzing combinations, but if he's not like, like I said, he's not the kind of guy who boxes his way into range. Uh, he, a lot of people have commented on his jab how sharp it is and wondering why he doesn't use it more often and it basically it's because of the distance like he's so often standing outside his own jabbing range and he isn't comfortable kind of jabbing in close enough where he can build off of it so he's left with just kind of sprinting at guys in terms of his his counters where where he's a good counter puncher and where he's not i've said that i liked his i like his countering combinations i like how he doubles up on the right uppercut and right hook an issue that I have with that is he's he doesn't not that great at seeing individual punches coming and reacting to them. Uh, if you look at a Sun Tzu as a counter puncher, he's someone who does this well. Like he can, you'll throw a jab, you'll try to close distance with a jab, and he'll he'll parry it uh, while getting out of range. So you have to take an extra step, and then it, like you saw this in the Rob Font fight a lot, and then Font would come forward with like a left hook or something, and a Sun Tzu would be able to see what the punch was and choose a reaction that that's appropriate. He'd like duck under it and throw the right hand. He can slip outside jabs and throw the right hand. Garbrandt, Garbrandt's trigger isn't the punch itself. It's the entry. It's your feet. He doesn't, he's not really like seeing jabs coming and slipping outside it. Uh, he, he's not going to feel the jab on his hand and say, and know that he's within range to land a counter. He watches guys' feet and their entries. Uh, so what that means is, if you look at the Cruz fight, part of the reason it gave Cruz so much trouble is because he wasn't biting on those when Cruz was just fiddling around with his punches on the outside. Cody wouldn't bite on those. But when Cruz actually committed to an entry uh, and when he he did his like little bounce hop step thing in, Cody would be all over him. If you watch the fifth round of that fight, though, Cruz kind of realized that using the entries as a trigger so so insistently means that he isn't really primed to counter specific punches in the same way. So Cruz would, he would like faint the entry and then instead of actually committing it to it and getting in range, he'd faint the entry and then stay at the end of his range, double jab into a right hand or something like that. And it was catching Cody because he's not really, he's not keying in on these punches. Uh, another example of that was in the first TJ fight. Uh, I think at the end of the round when Cody dropped him, like, a couple seconds before that exchange, you saw TJ, uh, 
he he like did the same thing fainted an entry and then instead of coming right in he tried to hit him a couple times just from the edge of his range and i don't think he like landed anything clean but it it worked you could see that that it's like a a sensible way to beat cody and and then at the end he just kind of got a little bit overzealous and actually committed to the entry and got dropped uh so the problem with this using the entry as a trigger is that guys can kind of pick them off from range um one fight that comes to mind is i don't know if you've seen this but taylor actually just showed me this fight a couple days ago sugar ray leonard against wilfred benitez benitez is a really slick defensive fighter great counter puncher and leonard was just not giving him anything to work with. He was kind of keeping him at the edge, the edge of his range, picking him off with jabs, and kind of leading him on to his counters. So Benitez was looking to to key in on entries or punches and slip, roll, uh, weave and move his head and then come up and counter. And Leonard just wasn't giving him anything at all to bite on. And I think that's probably the most consistent way to beat Cody, is to to strand him at long range and pick him off with those punches without committing super hard to entries. And in order to do that, obviously, Cody is super, super athletic, super physical. Uh, he punches really hard. So a lot of guys are not going to be able to do that just out of sheer athletic disparity. And this is something to think about for the Asunsao fight. Because I can see a lot of things Asunsao does giving him trouble, but I don't know if Asunsao is in the best place in his career right now? I think there's a lot to talk about there. I think one place where Cody's blitzes really worked was against Thomas Almeida, because one thing about Almeida is he kind of needs to be woken up in a fight. Like, I think in a lot of ways, Almeida is probably a more... I'm not, nice, I'm not sure I'd say better, but probably a more versatile fighter, better in more ranges. But Cody just kind of went at him, right? Blitzed at him hard. And I think one thing that we haven't really talked about yet, is that Cody's actually fairly crafty with his footwork, at least offensively. He's not terribly hard to back up. Marcus Brimage kind of did. But against Dominic Cruz and against Thomas Almeida, he had specific goals with his footwork to, like, cut off specific directions. He did some smart shifting stuff. It was it was a good way to fight that specific opponent. It's just that the problem was that he couldn't really adapt to different opponents. Insofar as the uh, leg kick counter thing, I think that's where Pedro Munoz did something really smart, which is, you know, the low, the really low leg kicks are kind of a fad these days. I'm not sure they're particularly viable for, you know, most opponents, but he kind of knocked Cody out of his stance when he kicked, which kind of worked to make Cody need to, like, take a second to reset for running at him. Yeah. But, yeah, in general, I agree with all of that. I think Austin, so he's not a bad athlete. I think we call him that a bit too much. He's a... Solid athlete. Yeah. He's like 48. He's a solid athlete in a field of like really, really crazy athletes, if that makes sense. He's as old as Tommy. (laughs) Yeah, he's like 37 or something. It's crazy. But he's like, he wasn't, for example, he was notably outsped by like Marlon Marais, who I would say is probably as fast, maybe faster than Cody Garbrandt. It's just that he might just get caught cold when Cody runs up a leg kick or something. It's a weird fight. I think the place where Austin Sound might find his advantage here is in terms of how diligent he is in terms of positioning in the pocket, because that's one thing where Cody, he gets 
really, really keyed in on his counters. He pretty much banks on guys just not wanting to be there with him. So even if he squares up and throws, he's like, oh, yeah, if I get into a dick measuring contest, no one's going to measure their dick better than I can. So, <laughs> no one's going to measure their dick better. <laughs> that's what a dick measuring contest is, right? Isn't the object to have, like, the most length, not to be the most skilled at measuring? Ah, oh, but see, if it's a dick measuring contest, the context is on <laughs> measuring the dick. Fair enough. I'll um, grant you that point. But, yeah, so... That's so the thing. they're if just like injured. lining up dicks for you to measure, and you have to have to do it in a certain amount of time. Whoever can do the yeah. most dicks in the, in the least whoever amount of time. Gets, whoever gets it more most accurately. <laughs> Sometimes I'll add little kinks. I know you know about that. <laughs> but yeah, so I think that's kind of the problem with Cody, and we saw that in the TJ fight too. Is that he is extremely prone to if someone just you know if someone faints at him, he can do some crafty things, but a lot of it's just. He squares up pretty early in the combination. He's at, After a certain point, he's just like swinging lefts and rights really, really quickly, really, really dangerously, but it took not a ton of tact. And I think compared to Awesome Sal, who's very diligent about how his feet are in exchanges generally, he's you know he has a certain idea of what he wants out of every exchange. I think that could get him into a lot of trouble. I'm glad you brought up his footwork. I have mixed feelings on Cody's footwork. I really like a lot of what he does on the outside, especially if guys are chasing him. In the Cruz fight, he he had some really lovely pivots on the outside. And when Cruz was trying to take angles, he'd consistently line up his elite foot to keep Cruz in his sights and to keep Cruz from getting like a, a dominant angle on him. And then as soon as he came in, he'd be ready to counter. Uh, he also was really crafty about kind of cutting Cruz off with certain strikes. Uh, like it, when Cruz would try to flash his jab in Cody's face and pivot out to his left. Cody would intercept him with leg kicks and take him out of stance. Um, I don't like his footwork in the pocket very much. One of the, the things about the way he counters is what I mentioned about uh, how he keys in on the entries. When guys take those entries, when they like they step in heavy with their lead foot or they bounce in, he gets super low and wide in his stance, and it allows him to, to fire off those rapid bursts of hooks and to get a lot of power into his shots. But it also keeps him rooted to the spot. His stance is too wide and stretched out to really move much, so he ends up squared up a lot. If you look at the cruise fight, a lot of those pocket exchanges, uh, people, we we always talk about how Cody was like better positioned than him in the pocket, and that is true, but a lot of times Cody wasn't that well positioned either, and he got the better of it because he can actually punch, and Cruz what was like throwing out those arm arm swats and like hitting him with his wrist and stuff. But this really came to light in the TJ fights, especially the second one where Cody, that, that three stretch exchange of Cody just bearing down, widening his stance, biting down on his mouthpiece and like taking, almost taking his eyes off TJ and just hoping the hooks work. Uh, and part of that is in the way he moves his feet in the pocket. He is, isn't really in position when he's throwing those power counter combinations to, to really adjust his positioning. So if guys can bait him out and then punish him for throwing those, that's a very consistent strategy to, to deal with them. It's hard, though, because uh, a lot of times with some guys, if they are keying in on certain punches, you can, like... Throw, use a throwaway jab and then bounce out so they throw the right hand and then you counter that but the thing with Cody not really countering specific punches and countering entries 
is that if you try to do that and you stay in range, he he might just like run you over with a swarming counter combination. But he can even in the Cruz fight where Cruz wasn't having a lot of success with that, he was still making Cody do that like plant his feet and get ready to swing a lot of times. So there's an opportunity to kind of faint him out and then uh, like the more you you do that and the more you're convincing him to to widen his legs and plant his feet and get ready to counter without actually entering, the the harder it is for him to tell when you're actually coming in and countering, or when you're coming in and getting ready, he should be getting ready to counter. With a Sun Tzu, this is a, a bit of a tricky fight for me to read. I can see a lot of areas where a Sun Tzu could be problematic for him. Um, if he can work a kicking game on the outside, like Pedro Munoz did, that could be really big, because both of their, both of their win conditions probably involve convincing the other guy to come forward. Except I don't know if a Sun Tzu really can win this coming forward, and there is a possibility that Cody could just blitz him and get him out of there. So a Sun Tzu really has to to keep that extra step of distance between him and Cody that he likes, and try to bait Cody into covering it. I do think that Cody will have a really hard time blitzing comfortably because a Sun Tzu has a great trigger on his counters. Uh, he has a, a really sharp counter right hand. And he manages the distance really well. Uh, like one one of the things about the Font fight that I loved is he he would stay just an extra step away from Font and extend his rear hand, so Font would be left jabbing into the hand, and it gave a false impression of how close he was. So he'd feel the hand, he'd feel a Sunso's palm on his jab, and be like, okay, I can double jab in and then land the right hand. I'm close enough to do that. And then he'd step in with the jab. A Sunso would just catch it step in with another jab, a Sao backs up very slightly and parries it, and then when he goes to throw the right hand, because he's been given a false impression by a Sao picking the jabs off, a Sao isn't there, and he can counter. Um, so if Cody just tries to storm him, I think his distance management is solid enough to counter consistently. Where where I'm less certain is how much a Sao can really do at range if Cody isn't giving him those reactions he needs he doesn't really, he's not the kind of guy that can like jab and in and out and actively faint. So if Cody is kind of fighting a more measured fight and staying on the outside, I could see it being kind of a slow paced fight where both of the guy, both of them are trying to urge the other guy to counter. Although I don't know if Garbrandt has the patience for that. And I guess the main thing for me is I don't know where a Sun Tzu is at athletically right now. I would pick a Sun Tzu. To, to do what I said, to kind of like draw him in and counter him consistently in his prime, but I'm not really sure what to think now. I think I'd probably go with a Sun Tzu, but I don't have a lot of confidence in that. I'll have to watch more tape on a Sun Tzu to give a more confident answer. Yeah, I mean, I, I just did uh, a thing on a Sun Tzu. I think he's a pretty bad fight for Cody in general. It's just it's the same sort of concern on where he is. I think a Sun Tzu, if Anything, he's probably the more comfortable party on the lead here. He does, I mean, at least he used to be. He did some cool jabbing things against Pedro Munoz. And in general, he's able to, like, faint counters out, pull them out, and, like, you know, actually deal with them in the pocket. As I said, he has a very specific image of what he wants out of every exchange. And that's something that I think could work, because Cody, for all his... He's very, very dangerous, but he's also very narrow in terms of selection of shots and in terms of a lot of things. So I think... A Sun Tzu could have some success if he gets out of that first round, or even like out of the first three minutes. If Cody blitzes and he doesn't find an answer in like outside the first three blitzes or something, it's 
it's going to be tough because eventually Asun Sao is just going to get a read on him. Asun Sao, he's probably the smarter fighter. Even if he's not, he's the more responsible fighter. Like, that's been trained into him right now. So I think it's going to be rough for Cody if he doesn't get him out early. Um, I think, what do you think about Cody's ceiling with other guys? Because I have trouble seeing him beating guys like Peter Yan, for instance, but he's not really there right now. I feel like he's, you know, kind of lower top 10 at this stage. But, you know, there are guys like Rob Font and stuff who could be interesting. I'm just, I'm not really sure where he stands compared to where people think he stands. I just can't really trust Cody at all right now. The next couple of fights of his will kind of determine how I see him. I I really don't know what to think now. Like, it's been, I think, like four years since he won a fight, right? He beat Cruz in 2016. Yeah. Yeah. Three and a half. And, like, you mentioned a Sun Sao can adjust, and Cody probably won't. That's another thing that's plagued him throughout, like, all those losses is his brain-thinking ability. <laughs> and I don't know if that's going to go away. Like, obviously, there's a, a certain kind of opponent that just doesn't really have what it takes to beat him. But for guys like Rob Font, Peter Yan, guys that have power and can counterpunch well and are, like, solid positional boxers i kind of feel like cody might be an iq test for them like there's always a chance that he's able to to push them back in a big blitz and then land a big shot when they're against the cage like he did with almeida but i don't i don't know if he has enough craft in in setting up the his big shots to to give them to consistently beat them um like what one thing i keep coming back to whenever i think of cody is that tetherball game from the Ultimate Fighter? <laughs> I knew so this they, was come up. yeah, I I could not not mention this. So they, TJ TJ Dillashaw and Cody Garbrandt were on the Ultimate Fighter together. They had the coaches; they were coaching the season, and the coaches' challenge was tetherball. Uh, I don't, I didn't watch the show, so I don't know like what they got for winning it. But they set up this tetherball game. TJ and Cody were in like a platform above water and they were playing tetherball and they'd, they had to try to push the push, like hit the ball back and forth while not falling off into the water. Cody got up really big. He, he was winning like, I think it was like eight to three or something. And then slowly he just wilted. There was this, it was like a confluence of factors. TJ got a couple points up on him and Cody started getting frustrated. <laughs> so he's like, he's, he's trying to smash the ball and like falling into the water. And then Ramsey Nijem starts like just heckling him like, boo, Cody, you suck. And he gets really fucking angry. He starts threatening to like hurt Ramsey and shit and wants to fight him. And he like takes his focus off the game and TJ gets scores more and more. And then at the end, like the last point TJ gets, he, he like, he doesn't even, he hits the ball back to Cody's side and it's like Cody could have totally reached that, but you just see him like slump over and like melt into the water. Like he's, it's almost like self-sabotage. Like what the fuck are you doing? And then in the, in like the post fight vignette, the wrap up thing where they interview them, and, like have them analyze the tetherball match. Cody's like, yeah, I was doing really good. And then my hair got wet. <laughs> <laughs> And there's a point to this, I swear. And then the fight went the exact same way. Like his first TJ fight, he was he was doing well at the beginning. 
uh, I think TJ was kind of figuring him out, but Cody was backing him off with counters. He wasn't taking much damage. And then the, at the end of the round, he had that big moment where he dropped TJ. And then just slowly it got worse and worse. TJ started getting his outside kicking going. And then Cody wasn't really doing much in the second round. And then he got dropped with a head kick. And then it was all downhill from there. He got flattened like a couple minutes later. And that's, I think, really, that's just the perfect thing to symbolize what Cody Garbrandt is. He is dangerous as hell. He's very, he's very good at his A game. If you're, if you're trading him with him in the pocket, you're probably losing. But he doesn't really have a lot of consistent routes to his A game. And elite fighters who aren't outmatched athletically, I think he's generally going to have a tough time taking them, taking them out. Yeah, I kind of get the sense that Cody's probably better as an anti-wrestler than as any sort of pure striker. Well, he's a pure striker, obviously, but he's better against wrestlers than he would be against dedicated strikers who actually, like, put some thought into their games. Because, like, if you give him someone like Ricky Simone or something, I feel like Cody probably just destroys him. Because, like, Ricky, Ricky has some, like, craft, obviously, but he's not the kind to beat him. He's not, like, comfortable in exchanges. His game is wrestling, and Cody showed against Cruz he can deal with that. But if his A game is something that his opponent can deal with, like at best, the way he fights, his A game is like a 50-50 gambit against anyone who's like actually also good there. He doesn't mm-hmm. give himself an advantage. It's just, I f- it's, as I mentioned before, it's the dick measuring contest. He just yeah. trusts himself. So I think, yeah, it's kind of rough to see how his career goes from here. Uh, I mean, I honestly expected them given how quickly they brought him up and like how favorably they brought him up, I, I'm really, really surprised they're getting him a Sun Sal here, unless they're like banking hard on a Sun Sal being totally shot to pieces. Because like the guys who beat a Sun Sal, it's, they've taken some shots. Marlon Moraes took some shots. TJ Dillashaw took some shots. Ah, TJ Dillashaw took some shots. Uh, Corey Sandhagen took some shots. They had to eat those shots and adjust. And I don't know if I can trust Cody to do either. Yeah, I agree. And I'm glad you brought up his wrestling because that's really a key to his performance against Cruz. Uh, we've, we've talked a lot about how Cruz relies on those reactive takedowns to, to prevent guys from following him, uh, to prevent them from like putting those blitzing combos that Cody did onto him. And Cody just looked impenetrable there. I don't, I don't think, yeah, he's never really fought a great wrestler aside from Cruz. So it's it was almost hard to get a read on his wrestling coming into the fight. But he had a great front headlock that he used to intercept Cruz's shots. Right, he would like threaten, use the front headlock and threaten the guillotine to roll Cruz over and get back to his feet. He's great on underhooks in the either the first or second TJ fight. TJ set up a really nice entry with the, his like the drop step thing that he does. Uh, you know where he switch into southpaw and like try to shoot outside the double leg while wrapping his leg outside and doing the outside trip yeah that he did to John Lineker all the time he did that to Cody and Cody just pried him off with the underhook right away so he's he looks like an absolutely impenetrable defensive wrestler it just so happens that not a lot of guys at the Bantamweight top in the Bantamweight top five rely on control wrestling like Sterling can do that but he's not really he's not super defined by that anymore he's got a a really slick outside striking game now that's not the prettiest but it's quite effective uh, and there's there's nobody that like in um in divisions like welterweight 
even middleweight and above, you have guys that kind of need to get you down. Those guys aren't there in Bantamweight. Everybody can do everything. So I think being an impenetrable anti-wrestler has a little bit of limited utility for Cody at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of weird because the way that he came up, it's... Because if you look at the context behind his 207 fight, it was, you know, he killed Takeya Mizugaki, he killed Thomas Almeida, and his resume wasn't particularly deep beyond that, like, even including those. Yeah, wasn't particularly he deep. absolutely did not get enough time to develop as a prospect. Yeah, and, like, after he beat Cruz, everyone was like, oh, yeah, this guy's going to be elite forever. Who does that to Cruz? And then I, I feel like it was this Cruz's inherent weirdness that made it work that way. Like, I don't want to oversimplify how good he looked or even how prepared he was for that, but it was like Cruz is one of the few guys at bantamweight who cannot be in the pocket. He throws himself out of position every single time. So the fact that Cody beat him in retrospect doesn't feel particularly in indi- Like, he beat the only guy at bantamweight who's like Cruz, and everyone, including probably me at that point, like, we were like, oh, yeah, he's going to beat TJ Dillashaw because he beat Dominic Cruz. It was just... I didn't think that. Well, I mean, I think I bet on Dillashaw, but it was mostly because of the odds. It was like plus 200. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. But it was like we expected him to have some staying power at the very least, and it's yeah. kind of not been there. Yeah, the Cruz fight really was not representative of how he'd perform at the the elite level for the reasons you mentioned. Cruz, he's not a hitter. And Cody, there's a lot of what Cody does that worked because Cruz wasn't a hitter. I think maybe I could see Sandhagen struggling a lot with Cody because I don't know. I could see him fading him out on the outside and picking him apart there. But if Cody can force pocket exchanges, there might be kind of that a similar dynamic where Corey's not really prepared to meet him in those tight exchanges. But nobody at the top is has that as much as Cruz does, where he absolutely can't afford to exchange with Garbrandt at all. Yeah. I mean, even Sandhagen, like, I feel like after a certain point, I trust him to adjust. Like, you know, Asun Sao, he's a better counterpuncher than Cody in a lot of ways. And Sandhagen, he didn't, like, stop getting hit by them entirely. But he figured out a way to, you know, get past them, extend the exchanges a little bit. And I think he'd eventually do that with Cody. It's just, yeah, like, the top of Bantamweight, if it if it had more guys that were like Cruz, it would work. But, like, Cruz's entire thing was that there wasn't anyone like him. So, yeah. it's it's weird. Do we have anything else to say? Uh, yeah, go with Sun Tso. <laughs> Sun Tso's, I don't Sun like Tso's a Sun Tso. I know, I know he you're, he's like your favorite fighter, but I, I don't like him. I'm sorry. I appreciate him a lot, canceled. but he's I'm not canceled. rooting for anyone. I just want somebody to get knocked out here. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't really expect a Sun Tso to win. Oh, I mean, we're going to. If, if Cody wins, that's what's going to happen. He's, he's going to have the best ruler going to have a tape measure that he can, like, bend around corners. And... A Sun Tso has a more flexible ruler, but it's a little bit old and brittle, and it might just snap. <laughs> but, yeah, so that, that's going to be an interesting fight. I mean, I think I kind of hope a Sun Tso loses because I want him to get easier fights, but, like, this should be one of his easier fights. So that's uh, it's depressing. If a Sun Tso loses, I'll be depressed. If Cody wins... I still don't really see, like, a path for him, so it's like, 
it might be better for Cody to lose here, honestly, because he could actually get some momentum instead of being thrown to like Pedro, Pedro Munoz again or like Peter Yan. <laughs> You're gonna give him Pedro Munoz again? God, that'd be hilarious. They're going to. It's like you know Pedro, or they'll give him like winner of Pedro Just Munoz versus Frankie Edgar. Wins the fight, throw him against Pedro Munoz. <laughs> like. Yeah, it's like if he wins here, it's going to be like, oh, yeah, Sunsau's top five. He just beat a t- top five opponent for, like, the second time ever. And they're going to give him a loser of Sterling Sandhagen or something, and he's just going to crash and burn somehow just by being dumb. So, yeah, I mean, like, he needs, like, Marab at this point. That's what he needs. That wouldn't be a bad fight for him, actually. Yeah. Especially as, like, a kind of a pick-me-up fight where, like, Marab's a good fighter, but he's not the kind of style that usually gives Cody problems and Cody really needs that after four years without a win and back to back to back finishes. Yeah. Like I feel like if if Ricky Simone beat Rob Plant, that would have been a good fight to make for him too. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just he he's in a weird spot. Uh whoever asked for this, I believe his name was not Bob. I hope you're happy with uh, both this and the Garbrandt piece. I hope he's um, not like a huge Garbrandt fan because we were kind of mean. I don't know what he expects, honestly. Uh, if not anything else, you can expect honesty from us. So uh, I hope you appreciate it. And uh, for everyone else, you can catch Ryan at Ryan A. Wag MMA on Twitter. Uh, me at Shriramem says, uh, thankfully, my last name's not in there. On Twitter as well, you can catch us both on the site. Um, well, do, you got, do you have anything coming out soon? Um, I'm... I don't know if I just say this yet because it's going to be a while, but I'm working on a big piece about all of Sciencei's rivalries. I'm writing the Singdom one right now, so that's going to be fun. Uh, um, I, I said this on the other one, but I'm doing something on on uh, Demiris Magulov, and uh, Ooh, I like him. Yeah, his Magulov's cool. He he beats Cody he, mostly because he's way bigger though. Um, Demiris Magulov. Jesus Christ! <laughs> that's like that's the best place to stop this. <laughs> <laughs> just cut it now. Thanks for joining us.